0: You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen. It's always good to see what God is doing in our churches and not. Exciting. Thanks to all the volunteers who so diligently worked hard at VBS this year. And as you saw, dates for next year are already picked so that no one has an excuse of we didn't know, we didn't know. Picked for next year already, me included. That's for me included. All right, Jonah chapter 3 this morning, as you guys turn there, uh, just a few things to uh, bring to your attention. Um, This I want to remind you of. The ushers are coming down the aisles right now. The Bible, they can follow along with us in in God's Word. But a couple things as you turn to Jonah chapter 3. One is this, I just want to remind you, David mentioned it, but I want to reiterate the importance of coming together for prayer in a week and a half. I know we always say prayer and praise, you gotta be there, gotta be there. And we kind of like, huh, yeah, well, whatever. But this is not a whatever thing in our church. Just so you know, this is, this is, David made reference to it. This is how we were built as a church. This is where God's spirit moves when God's people pray. And so this is of utmost priority for us. And so we know that prayer is to the soul what air is to lungs. And so without prayer, is God gonna do anything in our church? Do we want God to do stuff in our church? We wanna see God move? And we have to be committed as people, not just pastors and stuff, and as, as a congregation to pray. And so we, I encourage you and I also exhort you to come and pray with us in a week and a half. Some of you have never come. You've been here for five years. You've never come and prayed. Let this be the prayer meeting that you come and pray. We're praying into the next ministry year. Some of you started strong and haven't been in a long, long time. I encourage you to make a priority. Put it on your calendars now for the the, day, the 31st to come and pray with us as we pray into the next ministry year. And I know some of you will be there. I see your faces. I know you're there every single month. And so I encourage you. You, it's going to be just as encouraging and powerful this month as it has been every month so far. So, prayer and praise we have to pray, church. We just have to pray. There's too much at stake to not pray, and so I encourage you to be there. Second thing is this as we thinking of new ministry, as we get into a new ministry year, uh, we realize that as God keeps growing us, there is an increasing need for help to sustain the ministry. And so, we know clearly from the scriptures that being part of a church isn't a spectator sport, right? A little less eager on the amen on that one, eh? Being part of a church is not a spectator sport. It's a, let's be a part of God's kingdom and God's work and be all in for what God is doing here. And so we need help for the falls. We're looking to the fall. Every single serving team we have needs your help. God has called you here. If you're here, you're calling this your home church, you're here on purpose to dig into kingdom work. And so set up crews, tear down crews, welcome ministry, even that's the easiest one ever. Welcome ministry, smile and shake hands. Uh, So important though kids ministry, worship teams, we need your help. And so I encourage you to not go home and pray about it because I know what that means. I'll go pray about it, Pastor, it means no. We need you to not pray about it because I already know God wants us to do this. We need you to, to get involved and go back to guests, get connected at the end of service and sign up for where you can serve the Lord here. And so I leave that with you, again, as an encouragement and also as an exhortation. If we wanna see God move, we need to be all in this year. All right, now let's get into why we came to hear from God's word. Jonah chapter three. Simply put, here's the story of Jonah in Jonah chapter one and two. It's quite a story, isn't it? Uh, Jonah hears from God. Jonah rejects God's mission. God chases him down, literally. He brings him back to the starting point, gives him a second chance. Jonah then in chapter three obeys God and God works a miracle in the city of Nineveh. Let me read this for you. Jonah chapter three. Here's what we're going to study this morning. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying this. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. Here's his message. Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Encouraging one, wasn't it? And the people of Nineveh, this is the miracle here, and the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh this, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste water, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them all call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And who knows? May God God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And verse 10 says this, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, get this, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. You can probably get already that this is going to be a serious message. This is why we don't skip passages of Scripture because we need every single passage to show us who God is and enlighten us to the ways of God. And as we read this, don't you see see how much God cares about what you do with your life, first and foremost? Don't you see that? Clearly, God cares about what Jonah does and and what Jonah invests his life. And don't you also see this as we read this? Don't you also see this? How deeply God, the heart of God is for those that are far from him. How deeply God's heart is for those that are far from him. God goes to great lengths to get his message to a city that wants nothing to do with him. We see these two truths clearly. And if I were to ask you one-on-one, do you believe that God has a purpose for your life and he cares? Oh yeah, I believe that. Do you believe that God wants to reach the lost? Oh yeah, I believe that. But yet, do we really get this deep down in our souls? This reality that God is a missional God, God's a proactive God. God's not sitting up on his throne this morning hoping people stop by once in a while and give him the token bow or the token gift of benevolence. He's a father with intentional purposes for every one of his children and he has great urgency in bringing more people into his forever family. Any of you ever lost a child in a public place, get the urgency of God. If you've ever been in that place where you've been lost and your parents have been looking for you, you get the urgency of God. This is God's urgency that he has for the world around us. God's an active God. He's a chasing God that never stops looking for ways to reveal himself to the ends of the earth. And guess what? He chooses you and I to use to do this and to be on mission with him. It's so clear. It's so right here in our face, this heart of God and what God's looking for in our lives and what God's looking for through our lives. And yet I realize that even though it's plain and simple and it's right here on black and white before us, that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to make our hearts get this apart from the power of the Holy Spirit and being the urgent message this is, I just gotta stop and pray right now. My heart is pounding within me because I believe this is a message that is so important for our church today, so important for us today that we can't afford to not pray that God would help us not just get it, but get it today. And so pray with me as I get on my knees and pray this morning before we get into the text. (laughs) Lord, we've seen all along in this book of Jonah how you are a loving God, a gracious God, a God who pursues. Thank you for that reality, God. Deep within every one of our souls in here, we are a, a people who run. We are a people who rebel. We are a people who strive to be far away from you, but thanks be to God who does not let that happen in your children's lives. Thank you, Jesus, for keeping us and chasing us. Thank you, God, for calling us to a mission that's far greater than one we could have ever imagined on our own, to a a mission that is an eternal mission. It's eternally important in other people's lives. Thank you, God, that you show us what it means to truly hear from God and be obedient and to truly hear from God and repent of our sin and truly find salvation. God, I pray today as we teach Jonah chapter three. Oh God, would you guard these lips? God, would you empower my spirit in a way that I can't do it? God, would you empower our ears to hear and our hearts to understand? God, would you move us this morning? What we need more than just a simple church service this morning, what we need more than just a, a come in and hear a good little word and a nice little warm faces in my heart, what we need this morning is a true word from God that, that goes deep into every heart. Help us this morning, Lord. Eternity is in the balance in our lives and the lives of those around us. So God, help us. This is important, more than we could ever know. Help us, Lord, get this for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Point number one I want you to see in verses one and two is simply this. It's really a tale of an epic revival that God is gonna orchestrate in Nineveh. Here's the first point I want you to see. God has a persistent heart for all nations, we see this in verses one and two. God has a persistent heart for all nations. Here's Jonah back to square one. If you remember where we left off, Jonah was vomited up, it says. He was spit up on the shore and before he had a chance to barely catch his breath and dry off, God comes to him a second time, it says here, a second time with the exact same message we read that he gave him the first time in one chapter, chapter one, verse two. It's the exact same message he gives Jonah again. God gives Jonah again in chapter three, verse two. Look what it says and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying this, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. See the same thing in chapter one, verse two. It's the exact same message. The, the call of God on Jonah's life has not changed. In all Jonah's rebellion and all of his refusal to acknowledge God, guess what? The purposes of God have remained the same in his life. Look what it says in one, verse two. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. Remember, this isn't an easy call. If you remember here in chapter one, this is not an easy call. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Assyria was the number one arch enemy of Israel. And So what God in essence was doing is he was calling Jonah to go and preach the gospel message of heaven and hell to the number one arch enemy. It'd be like today telling an American to go and preach and go and preach to the main camp of Isis. Hey, there's a God out there who's gonna judge you, but if you relent and turn to him, he will save you. Shows us that God has a heart for those that are far from him. Why else, would he, why else would he make this call in the first place? Remember, Jonah wasn't looking for a call from God. God came to Jonah. Jonah ran. God pursued, 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 because God has an urgent plan for those that don't know him. Even the people we think would least respond. And so Jonah gets another word from God. It's what happens back in the day with prophets. They got a word and they spoke, spoke the word. They didn't question the word. They didn't mince the word. They spoke the word. Usually though prophets would speak to their own people, God was calling Jonah out of that realm to speak to another people. It's pretty cool because it shows us God's heart for Jonah and God's heart for the lost. It shows us God's heart for his people and God's heart for those around him. How does it show us God's heart for Jonah. It's actually this this same verse, verse 2, again in chapter 3 is this. It's showing Jonah that God holds no grudges. God is actually reinstating him and renewing his call to be God's servant and God's spokesperson. He's reminding Jonah the, the, the honor and the privilege of being his spokesperson and God's servant. It's amazing that God's not willing to put Jonah on the shelf. Even after all of his failings and all of his runnings, you or I, we'd be like, put that guy on the shelf, get a different prophet. This is an important mission, get a different prophet. God's like, I'm not getting a different prophet. This is the prophet, I want to do it. God wasn't about to let Jonah block his Facebook friendship or decline his Google invitation to mission. Why? Because God loves Jonah. Jonah shows us how much for Jonah God is. Do you realize that with God's missions in our lives, the only option we really have is a yes? Isn't that what Jonah's teaching us? With God's missions in our lives, the only option we really have is yes. We can say no to God's purposes, but then he's gonna do what he did with Jonah. He's gonna take us the scenic route and he's gonna get us to the place where we're gonna be used of him anyways. What's the better option? yes. When we say yes, God will use us for his glorious purposes. It also shows us God's persistent heart for a nation that is furthest from him. This is a head-scratcher from the very first time Jonah got this message. It's a head-scratcher for him. He's like, why would you go to, you go to Nineveh? These are the most sinful people. This is a, a people that is full of pomp and promiscuity uh, and these are people that oppose God and oppress His people, why would God go to Nineveh? Because he wants to show the world his character. He wants to show the world his mercy and his compassion. God's heart is not just a narrow heart for some people. God's heart is for all people. Israel didn't even get this at this point, but God is showing Israel, my heart is for all people. And one day I'm gonna open up my salvation message for all of, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, so this great city, remember great in sin, great in evil, can see the greatness of God's compassion. In essence, what God is saying to Jonah is this, man, I see this city, Nineveh, I see this city, Nineveh, they're in a bad way and I can't relent any longer, I have to do something. They're making a mockery of God. They're making a mess of the world and and they need a, a salvation message and Jonah, you're the man to do it. It shows us God's heart right off the bat in verses one and two and then it shows us what our role is in this plan of God revealing his compassion to the nations. Our role is simply obedience as Jonah's was. It's the same God today we serve. You know that, right? It's not like, oh, God had a heart for the most evil place back then, but today he doesn't. He just wants the good people, the clean people, the fun people, the people that are easy. No, it's not, that's not God at all. If you've got that somehow in your head, that's not the God that we serve. God's heart of mercy and compassion is far broader than we'd ever picture on our own. And just like God called Jonah to go and preach the gospel to the least favorite place to preach, God is calling us to do the same thing. Look at verse three, look at Jonah's response. We see this, so Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, began to go into the city going a day's journey to called out this message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. See, Jonah's response completely different than chapter one. Same message, different response. Chapter one, Jonah's like, no, I'm not going. Chapter three, somehow between the sea and the storm and the fish, Jonah finally got a picture of God's grace. And so this time in chapter three, Jonah's like, mission, I'm in. You want me to go somewhere? Where do you want me to go? He's finally getting that. Hey, sharing God's message is not a matter of choice. It's a matter of obedience, So Jonah arose and he went. It's simple words, but it's so powerful and profound. So Jonah rose, arose and went. This time, Jonah did it right. He was obedient. He went straight to Nineveh. Remember I told you that he probably came out of that whale well right up at Joppa again where he started. So he was making a trek. God got him up and he said, okay, I still have this mission for you, Jonah. Instead of like questioning or looking around, he went and he looked straight for Nineveh. Nineveh was 550 miles or 885 kilometers from where he was. Picture like God calling you to go to 100 kilometers north of Sault Ste. Marie. There's nothing up there, so I have to like be broad in this description, right? Just picture the Sioux. And yet Jonah, because he had seen firsthand the mercy and the grace of God, he was like, "Man, I don't care where you call me to go, God. I don't care what you call me to do. How far? Who cares? I'm going. And so Jonah takes this journey. It took a whole lot to get him on this page. It took chapters one and two to get Jonah to this page. But finally, God has Jonah with his undivided attention and his submission to God's leading. Probably with a picture of this in his heart. Hey, man, if God can save me through a whale, surely God can do something miraculous in Nineveh. Probably with this in mind. Okay, God, if you're gonna show me how much you love me by chasing me down so diligently, what can you ask me to do that I won't do for you? And so Jonah goes belting into this city and it's a pretty big city. It says here's three days journey in breadth. It probably doesn't mean that it was three days from one side of the city to the other. We look at history and we know that the city wasn't quite that big. It might mean that he was going around the whole region of Nineveh, kind of like the region of Niagara, and he was, it was gonna take three days for him to get to the region of Nineveh, or it meant this, that he was spending three days, it was gonna take him three days to hit every single neighborhood in Nineveh with a message that God shared with him, that he was to share with the people. Irregardless, to task. And Jonah does it, and here's his message. Picture yourself, a little foreigner, you already know people hate you and you walk into the main downtown core of the enemy and you start chanting this. Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Like the old time town criers, he's shouting this message to Nineveh. If you're like me, you're like, really, that's just a bad idea. Nothing good can come out of this. It's almost like he's like poking the, poking the bear. If you guys don't repent, God's gonna crush you. It's a serious message. This word overthrown is the same word that's, the same root word that's used in Genesis 19 with Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah, they were immoral and they were adulterers and and there is no way to weed the sin out of those people. So what did God do? He sent fire and he consumed it with his holy wrath against sin. This is, in essence, what Jonah's saying to the people here's he's like, in 40 days, God's gonna burn you up. Number 40 is a, Significant in the Bible, we see it all over the place. Forty is a time of preparation or warning in the Bible—a definite time established by God before His coming with judgment or testing. Think the Noah's Ark, forty days, right? It rained for forty days and forty nights. Even Jesus in His wilderness temptation, forty days was in the wilderness of temptation. It's really warning them: God's coming. He's coming. He's coming. God's coming. do nice little cozy. Hey, hey, God's coming. Feel good message of the year. God loves you. It's not that. It's an urgent, you better listen up because God's coming. Why so harsh, you ask? Why so harsh? It seems like there's no good news here. If this is the gospel, there's no good news. And yet, if you look at Jeremiah 18, verses seven and eight, God has a clause in every warning. God says this in every warning that God issues to, to people. God has this attached, if this is implied that if the people repent, God will relent. And so Jonah knows this. The people get this. Why else would there be a warning, right? If there is, there's grace in, this is grace in warning, right? Have you ever been warned by your dad? Hey, hey, stop it or you're gonna get it. There's grace in that, is there not? He's giving you a chance to respond. God is actually showing grace by giving the people of Nineveh a chance to respond. As one commentator said, it's like when an electric company warns that your power is gonna be turned off unless you pay your bill. That warning implies that if you pay the bill, the threat will not be carried out. It sounds harsh, but you have to understand that this is also part of the fullness of the gospel. This is part of the fullness of the message that Jesus came to share to us. Somehow in our culture we've missed it, we've lost it, we don't talk about it much anymore. But part of the gospel is this it's realizing that there is a dire situation facing us, and if we don't turn to God, there's going to be eternal consequences. Is that not the gospel? And until you realize that there's eternal consequences, you probably won't have the urgency to turn to God. And how many times have you told people without telling them the, the, the warning part, have told them the good news part, and they're like, well, why do I need God? Things are going well. I got money, I got kids, I got family, I got a job. Like, why do I need God? because we fail to tell them the full gospel, which includes a warning of coming judgment. Oh, but that's mean, pastors. Mean, this is mean of God. This is mean of Jonah. Why would he do that? This is kind of harsh. How do you think it would be mean if you woke up in the middle of the night and found your flames coming from your neighbor's house? Would it be mean to run outside and start screaming at them and pounding on windows to warn them that there's a fire in their house? It's loving them, it's gracious to them, right? And, and like, wake up, wake up, there's a fire. If you don't get up and get to the window, get good news, there's a ladder there. If you step out in faith and jump onto that ladder, you're gonna be saved. But the warning's part of the good news, is it not? This is exactly, this is exactly what God is doing here. He's, he's showing them the good news that he is a God that saves Quite honestly, we get to this, we want to skip on to the next verse because the next verse gets better, but I just want you to know this. This is this is the call on every believer to share the fullness of the gospel with people that we come across. You, you realize that, don't you? What God is calling Jonah to is what God is calling all of us to on a regular basis, to, to love the Lord and to be urgent enough to, to warn people of the coming reality of, at the end of this life, there's going to be A stand of reckoning with God. There's gonna be heaven and there's gonna be hell. There's no way around it. There's no way through it. This is the reality. To love people enough to follow God's call to do this. This is the call of God on every single believer to see the grace of God so fully, not through a whale, but through his son, Jesus Christ, to want to follow God wherever he leads and tell as many people as possible that we have a gracious God who's willing to save So what we're about as a church, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we're Christ's ambassadors. Romans 10.13 says, How will people hear if no one tells them? Blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. It's remarkable Jonah's courage and obedience in this. I look at our lives, I look at my own life, and I'm like, man, if God called me to that, would I do it? Check, God has called me to that. The question is will I follow Jonah's example of chapter one or will I follow Jonah's example of chapter three? God's heart for the loss is relentless. It's not a maybe, it's, a, it's an urgent thing. This is an urgent thing that Jonah's doing here. This is, this is a, a, a God of urgency saying, Jonah, you have to share this. You have to share this with these people or they're gonna die because of their sin and they're gonna be lost forever. And so don't let the call be lost on you, but you can't miss what happens next because when we answer God's call, God is gonna do great things just like he did in Nineveh's case. When you answer God's call this week or this month or this coming year, God's gonna do great things as you respond to him in obedience. Look what happens next. This is the crux of the story. Look what happens next, verse five. We think this is gonna be bad, right? Oh my goodness, here we go. 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is not gonna be good. Jonah's probably expecting that when he gets in the middle of that town they're going to rise up and beat him down instead what they do is they fall down and they raise their hands up to God and ask God for mercy to not beat them down look at verse 5 this is this is this is what happens when God's word goes out he rattles souls when the truth, when the full truth of God's word goes out, not the watered down part, not the, the only the parts I like to hear, but when the fullness of God's truth goes out, guess what happens? He rattles souls. Look at here. And the people of Nineveh, look what their response was. Instead of rising up to beat him or mock him or, or run him out of town, they simply believed God. Surprising, isn't it? Surprising everybody but God. Because this was God's plan. Look what they did. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from the throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued this big proclamation. He's like, hey, no one is going to eat, neither beasts nor people. We're not going to eat. But instead, you know what we're going to do? We're going to call out mightily to God in verse 8 and let everyone turn from evil and from the violence that is in his hands. Remember, they're known for their violence. And let's hope, he's saying here, that God will turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. This is amazing. This isn't a, this is, you know, it's like a revival happening in Nineveh, the place that was least expected. The, the, the harshest, meanest place on earth is experiencing a revival because of Jonah's obedience. Instead of rising up against him, they fell on their knees before God and they repented. If you study the original language on this, the word repent is, the original language is the word repent four times in verses eight to 10. The people repent. They change their mind and they, their lives change because of simply one guy who was willing to preach the hard truth. Here's what it means to repent. This is a great picture for us. This is what it really means to repent and respond to God. Look at Nineveh, what they did. They believed God. They simply took his message to heart. They heard it. They took it in. They were overcome with a reverence and an awe of God. They agreed with God's assessment of their lives. You know what? We are evil, and man, we need to change then they call the fast. A fast is a symbol of affliction of the soul an intense mourning of the heart for wrongdoing. It's not like, uh oh, I'm sorry I got caught or I'm going to try and get past these, this set of ramifications. It's more of a, I really see my sin for what it really is and it's an offense against the holy God. And I'm not going to eat for a while to show God how serious I am that my soul needs to be filled. And they put on sackcloth. They put on this coarse and rough cloth used for making sacks, which is normally only the poorest people wore. Again, expressing lament and grief and humiliation. You know what they're saying is who cares what people think? I don't care. I just want to be good before God. And they called out for mercy. See it? They called out for mercy. They called out mightily to God and they turned from their evil. They committed to stop sinning and start pursuing God's ways of righteousness and then they sought the Lord in faith. They're like, God, hopefully you're gonna hear this prayer. Hopefully you're gonna do something. This wasn't just one person that did this. This was the whole city was like, stop dead. This little guy comes in it was only one day into the journey, he stops dead, he's like, you know, Repent. Whole place stops dead. Like businessmen, businesswomen stopped doing their thing. General laborers stopped working. Unemployed came out of their holes. Kids stopped playing in their streets. The banks closed down. The libraries put the clothes sign up. And everything completely shut down. The whole nation, even parliament stopped. The king came off his throne. He took off his robes. He joined the people saying, I'm not any better than you in this. And he got low before God. He sat in ashes and they simply mourned over their own sin. They dropped everything and turned to God. No sense of, like, I'm too good for that. No sense of, like, this isn't for me, it's for somebody else. It was simply like, man, if I don't respond, I'm in trouble. It's a powerful sermon, isn't it? It's powerful. Jonah didn't come with like a little charade and a dance. He didn't come with some fine-tuned sermon. It was like, God said to say this, I'm gonna say it. Let's see what happens. Some people suggested maybe it's because Jonah, they heard of Jonah getting scooped up from the whale, so it was the miracle that really made them. It wasn't the miracle. Here's what it was. Here's what it was. Old Palmer Robertson says it well. It was not the force of the argument presented by the prophet that moved the people. It was the power of God's truth that pierced the heart. It was never Jonah's persuasive powers as the way to save sinners, and it was never Jonah's confidence in himself to speak up for Christ, for God. It is God and his truth that caused people to believe by the grace of God. Jonah was simply the instrument. Jonah's an example of what we are ought to be in a world that desperately needs Jesus. Just the instrument, just willing to speak. Just, God, I just need to speak. The Ninevites are an example to us of what it really means to repent of our sin. We hear this word repent a lot. Well, not a lot in many churches, but a lot in this church. But do we really understand what it means? Here's what repentance really is. This is is where we can learn from Nineveh because I think in our culture today, we miss fully out on what repentance really is. We package repentance as this. Sorry, God, do better next time. Sorry, that's not repentance. Here's what repentance is, and you have to get, this is why it's so urgent, you have to get this. Here's what repentance is. Some of you may have never done this before. Actually seeing your sin in the full reality of what it is as God sees it, an abomination to him. Actually taking your sin so seriously, realizing that if you don't turn to God because of your sin, you will spend an eternal destiny away from him in a lake of Fire. And because of that truth, how do I respond to this? I get on my knees and I don't care about what anyone else thinks. I call out to God and say, God, I, more than anything else, more than needing you to give me another paycheck or another plate of food, I need you to save my soul and change me from the inside out. That's true repentance. Falling down and saying, God, I believe you. I believe you. Now please do your will in my life and show me grace and compassion. That's true repentance. I have to be honest, I never got true repentance until I was 18 years old in Bible college. I knew all the right things. I'd nod appropriately at the right times, knew the right verses. It wasn't until I was in Bible college that I was sitting in the back row of a youth conference, I've told you this before, and the preacher gave the call, and I realized that I had never mourned over my sin for a second in my life. It's not talking about putting a potato sack on and making a big scene. It's talking about putting a potato sack on in your heart. I'd never done that. Because I'd never done that, truly, God had really never, I'd never really seen the fullness of God and his mercy and grace. And even though I was doing all the right things on the outside and I looked really good and everyone would have thought I was a good little Christian boy, guess what, I was on an eternal road to hell. I'll never forget the prompting of the Holy Spirit. As I sat in the back row, my face started going red from like the top down. And I remember thinking, I gotta go. I can't put this off any longer. I can't just play this stupid charade any longer. And I got up from my seat and I walked all the way down the aisle in the middle of all my Bible college friends were thinking this is a call for, for the youth that are there, not for Bible college students because why would you, you get it, right? And I remember walking down to the front and I remember just like putting my face into the floor partly because I was embarrassed, but I really didn't care, but partly because man, that's where I needed to be before God. As I look back on my life, that is the moment that I was truly saved, right there. February of 1994. This is a picture of what it is to truly be saved. Brothers and sisters, This don't buy into what the cultural Christianity tells you this is the Bible. It's not just in the Old Testament. You know one of Jesus' first sermons? You know what he says in Matthew 4, 17? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Salvation is not like, now God's gonna be my best friend forever, my little BFF. Salvation is not, Salvation is not. well, maybe I can listen a little more, God, this week, and maybe I'll try, my, try a little harder. Salvation is not even a little prayer of agreement with God to appease my conscience. Salvation is truly seeing God for who he is, seeing your sin and falling on your face before him. And asking for forgiveness and a change of heart. Have you done it? I don't care if your parents have done it. Have you done it? I don't care how long you've been to church in your life and how many catechisms you know and how many scripture references you've memorized. Have you done it? Has God pierced your heart to the point where you couldn't get up off the floor because of your sinfulness against the holy God? If your heart's pounding right now and you know you've never done that, today's a good day. God's warnings come at good times for us, amen? It's God's grace that he gives us warnings. Have you ever truly repented of your sin? That's where salvation starts. If you believers in here who have done this, let me ask you this. When was the last time you repented of your sin? Repentance isn't a one-time deal, a one and done, and you're good forever. Yes, your salvation is secure before the Lord, but here's the reality of our souls, believers: is that sin creeps its ugly head into our lives in different ways at different times, and there's just no escaping sin, isn't there? The sinfulness in us, and so God calls us to an ongoing life of repentance. An ongoing, like when was the last time that I really saw my sin was broken before God because of the heinousness of my heart and maybe it's not like the first time but the reality is is that it just creeps up. When was the last time I let the Lord truly bring me to my knees with a warning from his word? Or do I now look at the Bible like that's for somebody else and not me anymore? Yet the call to repentance is ongoing and it's the path to joy, it's the path to victory, it's the path to nearness with God. John Calvin writes this, we hence learn for what purposes God daily urges us to repentance and that is because he desires us to be reconciled with him that we could be friends. When was the last time you allowed the Lord to teach you the holy humiliation of confessing your sin? even to a brother or sister, that you might be healed, as James 5 says. This is a lesson for us. It's not just about us sharing. It's about us responding to God. You know what else this is a lesson for? It's a lesson for us in how we can pray urgently for revival in our land. This whole scene in Nineveh, do you realize that God is still the same God, that God still has the same heart, that God's call on us is the same, that we can expect the same results today? that's a good old-fashioned revival, Pastor. It's, not, it's good, but it's not old-fashioned. There's nothing that God desires more than to, to bring revival to our land again today. We've stopped praying for it. We've stopped believing it. We pass these stories off as well. That happened a long time ago to a guy who got swallowed by a whale, and, and yet how much more should we be praying for revival today? Look at our land. We think Assyria was bad. Look at our land. Everything goes here, but God... We're so comfy, we're so cozy, but we're so dark. Other countries sending missionaries here, what gives? And yet we go on our daily lives thinking that all is good. We ought to be praying for revival here in Niagara, in Canada, in North America, that we would see God do this in our lives and in our church. It starts here, but then it spreads, it spreads. This is God's call on our lives to be calling out to God for revival. That's what we're gonna spend our next prayer meeting about, just so you know, calling out to God for his glory and his revival. Here, now, time is getting short. He's coming back soon, amen? If there's ever a time for urgency as Jonah had, why wouldn't it be now? Who cares what people think? Let's stand and shout on the street corners. Eternal destinies are at stake. Are we gonna be like Jonah chapter one? Are we gonna be like Jonah chapter three? Do you realize that Canada hasn't had a revival since 1970? Saskatoon had happened out west and... God's spirit swept the land. Just like the great revival down we hear about, the great awakening down in the U.S., it happened in Canada not that many years ago. But guess what? We're due. We're due for another one as God's people take seriously his call, take seriously his His holiness and his call to then follow his leading in obedience. I just want you guys to know that as staff and elders, we're we're not about just playing church especially this coming year, there's an urgency that God is birthing within us that I can't really explain, but we're not just about wanting to do church and just do the nice, casual, cozy, let's come in and sing a few songs and go home. God has called us to something far greater than that. God has called us to see his glory and share that with the world. And God has called us to be like Jonah chapter three and pray that Jonah chapter three happens here now. And it was for real. This wasn't a superficial thing. We see Jesus talking about this whole thing in Luke eleven thirty two. You know what he says in Luke eleven thirty two? 32? He says that the Ninevites, the Gentiles, the foreigners, you know what they're going to do? They're going to rise up on the day of judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. They're in God's kingdom, they're the real deal. Faith was born, sin was crushed, hearts were turned to God, and everyone knew that God was alive. And honestly, if this is a result of Jonah and his emergence from a whale, how much more does God want people to respond to Jesus and his resurrection from the grave? But what if we go and preach and God doesn't relent of his anger? What if we go and preach and no one responds? Let's read verse 10. God's mercy pours down repentant hearts. God's mercy overrules sin and repentant hearts. Look at verse 10. The, the Ninevites, the king, they, he didn't know. He's like, I don't know. Is God gonna do something? Maybe God's gonna relent. This is the only shot we have, though, so let's just do it anyways. Let's show him how serious we are. Let's show him we we're not willing to play games anymore or mess around with our, our lives. Let's show God what, what we wanna be about. We wanna turn from the evil ways. We wanna turn to God in his righteous ways. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, guess what God did? He relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. Can't skip that verse. It's so deeply profound. What does God do when we repent? Shows us mercy. What does God do when any sinner repents? He shows us mercy not just a teeny tiny little bit of mercy. He pours his mercy down. When it says here that God relented, simply means this, that God was moved to pity. God saw these people and he was moved to pity. There's no fire and brimstone, there's no captivity, there's no sanctions against the people of Nineveh, no conditions, it was simply like, you repent, I will respond. The blowtorch was coming out. The blowtorch was coming out. The throttle was turned. The match was just about to be lit and the people repented and God relented. Why? Because he's such a compassionate God. Yes, we see hellfire and brimstone in the Bible. For sure, it's right here. But overarching all of that, we see a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of compassion that will respond to anyone who falls on their knees and turns to him for forgiveness and faith. That's the God that we serve. And the God that we serve is just like us. How many of you wake up in the morning who have kids like, man, I hope my son messes up today. Man, I just hope he melts back then I can put him in his room for the whole day. That'd be an amazing day. Man, I hope Maya wakes up today. I hope she runs away because that's gonna be awesome. Then we can bring her back and lock her in a room, it's gonna be fantastic. What a great day that would be. Who does that? None of us. And neither does our God. God does not delight in the destruction of His of people anywhere. His vision is not narrow, it's broad. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. God desires that no one should perish. God desires that no one should perish. And to show us just how serious he is about that, he used Nineveh and Jonah as an example to us to show us his heart for all people. So interesting that Nineveh repented in chapter three of Jonah And then the whole book of Nahum is about God calling judgment down on the people of Nineveh again. And he eventually destroys this city like he said he was gonna do here. was many years in between, but this time the people turned and responded. And then it slowly shifted back to the same old way it was before. And then it comes to another season and God warns them again, they didn't turn. And so in Nahum, he does what he said he was gonna do this time. Does this mean that God changes his mind? Does this mean that we can somehow manipulate God? Not at all, but we do see the close connection between human action and divine response. Here's what's happening in this chapter. God ordained repentance in the hearts of these people that they might relent and reveal his compassion. Yes, God directs and controls all things. His purposes cannot be changed, but he does also interact with his creation and responds to us as we call out to him. Because the Psalm 145, verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord, it says, is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. It's a serious message. Happy ending a serious message it's an urgent message for us i don't believe it's one that we can just leave here from and say okay he's done sing song let's go home i think God has some calls on our life through chapter 3 of jonah first one is this will you heed to the call of god to share the unashamed truth of the gospel of jesus christ And love God enough and care enough about other people around you to tell them the truth about their eternal destiny and what God wants to do in their lives? Will you do that? Or will you carry on as normal like it doesn't matter and it never happened? Second one is this. Will you see God for who he truly is today and fall on your knees in repentance? Maybe for the first time, maybe yet again you need to Yes, God's loving and yes, God's good but God also doesn't mess around with sin. He's holy. He's a good judge. Meaning he'll bring down the right sentence every single time. If you don't know Jesus that sentence is gonna be death today. But if you know Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior you don't have to worry death anymore but your relationship with God is what you're what you're fighting for, what you're aiming for at this point. It's the closeness with your Father. Will you hear with God's ears? Will you open your heart to God's message and let it go in today? Will you allow God to first shape you and then use you for his purposes? right on the nose 45 minutes God speaks and then he leaves us to respond let me pray God, you brought us here on purpose this morning. You brought us here to speak to us and to teach us and to mold us and to shape us into the men and women you've called us to be men and women who are close to your heart, men and women who are after your own heart, men and women who are not concerned with fulfilling our desires here on earth, but are willing, that are concerned with fulfilling your goals and desires here on our time on earth. Father, I pray today that you'd find us with truly humble hearts truly open hearts. God, if there's people here that need repentance today, God, would you give them the gift of repentance? Would you help them see their sin? Would you help them, those whose hearts are pounding right now, that know they need to come before you again. They need to be broken again. They haven't been broken in so long. God, they can't remember the last time that they have wept over their own sin. God, would you show them that? And God, would you break their hearts today that they might be either saved for the first time or drawn back into a vital life-giving relationship with yourself? Oh God, there's no greater joy than falling on our face in holy repentance before you, that you might make us clean again. And God, I pray that every person here who's seen the grace and the goodness of God will leave here with a desire to just boldly speak the gospel, believing that you're still a God who can bring a city to its knees. God, would you do something like Nineveh here in our church? God, would you do it here in our region, here in our country? God, we're longing to see the power of God fall down. We're not content, Lord, just walking in and out of church every Sunday and being like everybody else. Oh, how we long to see people saved and changed, even those we least expect. Would you find us faithful today, Lord, men and women whose hearts are actively and earnestly seeking after you? Amen.